Hello everyone, it's Whitney, and I want to welcome you to Ladies Takeover Empowerment Podcast, where we're all about helping women to succeed and become the very best version of themselves. And on tonight, real quick, I want to talk to you about 2020 vision. 2020 vision is used to express normal visual clarity or sharpness for Many of us, we kind of already understand the concept of 2020 vision, but I I want you to know and understand that the sharpness and clarity of um, being able to see with 2020 vision is that you're able to see um, from about 20 feet or 20 feet away. So if you have 2020 vision, then many people feel that they have perfect vision when the actuality is that they can see clearly at 20 feet and that's just that. What's important to know is that it's not just perfect vision, but it's being able to have vision from a particular place or to see out into a certain um, realm of your vision. So who would have known <laughs> that last year in 2020 that COVID-19 would spread and then not only spread like it did to consume and mess millions of lives up, but not only that, it, it we lost so many people just within the United States alone. And unfortunately, it is still affecting us today. Well, we've created a new normal, but many did not see this new normal coming. Many did not see this pandemic taking over the world, things shifting, um, people losing their jobs, losing their homes, schools being closed down, so many different things. And so this is the same with you in your personal or spiritual life that a lot of times you just get blindsided. You get blindsided by the things that initially have potential to really take us out of here to cause us to actually lose our our minds and our lives and so our job is to exercise our ability to not just see too close or to see too far away but we need and not be perfect either but we need to be able to at least strive to see out 20 feet or greater knowing and understanding that 2020 vision um, allows us to learn from our past mistakes and move forward accordingly. So yeah, don't wallow in the past. Don't wallow in the present of where you are, but learn from it. Move on. In this season, don't be taken out by the, the things of this world and the craziness and all the things that is happening right now. You have come this far and now you need to make your pathway clear. You need to be able to take your future by the horns and say, you know what? I'm holding on. I'm not letting anything stop in me. I'm going to be able to move clearly in the next, um, in this year. And so next coming up, I have a wonderful guest, none other than Derek Young, who was speaking just will be speaking to that what I was just talking about. He has a wonderful book. He's very influential and it's called 2020 Vision. And so we're going to hear from him and go more into depth on this subject when we come back. everyone it is Whitney with ladies takeover empowerment podcast where we are all about helping women to succeed and become the very best version of themselves and guys listen I'm super excited today because I have a phenomenal um, man who is coming to just pour into us women that are listening I know I have my favorite uh, male listeners as well but as we focus on our women, I we are doing a special season where it's nothing but men and how they can help us to um, just gain a better sense of self. And so on today, I have none other than Derek Young, who we're going to refer to him as D.Y., everybody. Right. So please... Please welcome uh, a nice new friend of mine, none other than D.Y. How are you? Doing fabulous. How are you? 
I'm doing phenomenal. And listen, I just want to tell you, thank you so much for joining us today, taking time out your busy schedule. I know the last time I saw you, I believe you were out the country with your wife celebrating your wedding anniversary. That was the plan. We were going to be in Greece. That was the plan. But we just said with COVID, we were just going to keep it stateside. Gotcha. But yeah, but 25 years, um, uh, I married a phenomenal person. My wife's a native of Nashville, where we live, and she's um, Spelman undergrad, Vanderbilt master's degree, and she now serves full-time as a, mostly a hospital chaplain, but is looking to go into the chaplaincy in a university setting. Wow, that's wonderful. Um, well, hats off to her. And I know a little bit about you. You have a great book entitled, um, where is it at? Because I don't see it. Make My Hindsight Your 2020. And I was able to be a part of a workshop where you were talking about this. And you had some great nuggets to just help people with their entrepreneurial leadership. And so I would like for you to just kind of tell everyone who's listening, tell the world about yourself and what it is exactly that you do. Oh, that's great. Well, I would say I am a great example of God's power uh, coming to life in a person's experience. I grew up in a single parent home with my mother and my grandmother in the largest housing project in St. Louis, my hometown. And because of their faithfulness and their steadiness and their firmness and their love, right? Um, I was really blessed to start school uh, at, uh, a year early and then skip a grade. So I started high school at age 12 and then college at age 16. And went to Jesuit high school, Jesuit college. And then my career has really been a combination of impact opportunities. What I would say to anybody who is one of your listeners is if you will live a life that's based on a calling that is all about the broad impact you make on the world, I believe you're always going to have joy. You're always going to have a sense of accomplishment. So my career was very much a corporate nonprofit career. Uh, with uh, the foundation of it being the Federal Reserve Bank. So again, I've had a lot of different roles, but all of them were about changing the culture. So for the past 14 years now, I've been a corporate culture consultant for major organizations, a motivational speaker, and my specialty is helping a team or a department or a division or an entire corporation literally move their culture from good to great or to legendary status and I was on a flight once and you know how we are in America people pretty quickly want to ask you what do you do and um, this guy says what do you do and I said I teach people to be nice he looked at me he said man we need that where I work right but I believe you've heard this saying that uh, Peter Drucker made famous that culture eats strategy for lunch, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love that phrase. I've always believed in that. What I, though, promote is that when you get culture and strategy to eat together, that's when you produce the most phenomenal impact. So in my consulting practice, I help organizations like Bass Pro, Habitat for Humanity, Girl Scouts, big national name brands literally change some aspect of their culture in 24 to 36 month engagements. That's kind of my sweet spot. But what you are doing is significant to me um, because I love people, but I also have been able to see what women can do when you just get out of the way. Um, I did uh, an assessment of my executive coaching practice, which I don't do as much coaching as I used to, but I did a five-year review and 75% of my clients were women. And about 74% of my sort of senior, sort of that director VP level, about 70, almost for 70% of them earned a promotion within two years of the coaching engagement. And I think what that is, is when a person has a fan, which I am, when they have a confidant, which I am, when they have a person with broad exposure and experience, which I have, 
who is totally focused on their growth and their success, that's when you can really just strap a rocket to a person. So uh, that's the short version, but just really glad to be with you today. That's a that's great. Short version or not, that's a mouthful. It's a whole lot to <laughs> to grasp and to take in. But I'm sure people who are listening can already tell that you have a wealth of knowledge and information that can help people. And so I don't know. I'm not sure. I was just talking to someone about this not too long ago about how there has to be something inside of certain people because um, you can look at a whole culture, a whole group of individuals in a certain area. Let's just take like a um, low budget urban area, right? Low income. And you'll find that the majority of them will have the same mindset where they just go with whatever is happening. No one rises up to be the cream of the crop or if they do they're usually leading people if they are natural leaders um, not to excel in life but to do what um, they've seen done before and then there's always somebody still that we can pick out down through the years who has come out of just like for example that probably everybody would probably know is Barack Obama you come out of Chicago and um something had to be implanted inside of them to make them want to go against the grain, to beat the odds of what it is that society has labeled them as. So with all of the accolades and the things that you have accomplished, what do you think was the main thing that really pulled you or guided or directed you to be where you are now and inspire others to go down that nonprofit path? Because there's not always a lot of money in that. You know, that's a really rich question. And I'm gonna answer it with a cliche, but the point is cliches are cliches because they work. Many are called, but few are chosen. And I don't know if anyone will ever be able to explain how God does what he does in this, in this world of putting a finger on somebody. But more often than not, that chosen person, if you think about your question, is always a person who is doing what they do for the growth, the development, and the impact of other people. And what strikes me is my grandmother, who um, she lived to be 94, she died um, 2013. My grandmother one day, when I was a kid, um, in about a four hour span of time, uh, my friend Daryl Porter, his sister Sasson, she came and knocked on the door. And then I come out. And then a little bit later, my friend Keith Nash, who was my age, who was he's like 11, 12 years old, Derek come out. And then a little bit later, Daryl Herndon, who was four or five years older than me, was young, Derek here. And my grandmother said, boy, you are something. You just got all of it. <laughs> and, and that showed me looking back that that's always been a part of who I am. One of the assignments I've asked my clients to do, and this is in my book, um, is to, this is a phenomenal assignment, is to make a list of what you believe to be your five greatest accomplishments. And what I say is ruling out your spiritual life if you're married or if you have children. Let's just take those off the table. That exercise has been so cathartic for people because it helps people connect with what it is you just pointed out. That something in me that makes me just want to keep pushing. That something in me that makes me want to look out for you. That's something in me that just enables me to understand that. That thing you're able to go, what? Y'all don't see what's the problem here? And people are like, no. <laughs> and it's just easy McPeasy to you. Go mm -hmm. back and make a list of your five greatest accomplishments. Mine, real short, the greatest accomplishment I've had. Again, I'm not talking spiritual life, marriage, children. I worked at a summer camp every summer during college for children from abusive, foster care, really bad background. I had a kid who had attempted suicide twice, who became a part of my little group. I knew at 18 years old, I had, again, no training, no degree, just the revelation at 18 years old that this kid is gonna try to blow me out 
to demonstrate that I don't love him. I don't know how I knew that. I just knew it. And I said, I've got to just respond to everything he says. Like, you like ice cream? So do I. Sure enough, first day of camp, he's cursing. I don't want to be at this blankety blank and blanking camp. You people don't blank. You know, I tried to rape a girl two years ago and he get he hit me with the full. And no matter what he said, I would go, are you serious? You know, I don't want to be at this camp either. No matter what he said, I just normalized it. I normalized it. But by the same token, I was complimenting how good he was at soccer. I was complimenting how well he ran the bases in kickball. And by day three of an 11-day camp, this kid, I was, I mean, he was my shadow. I couldn't take a step. Well, at day 11, when the camp ended, this is a 15-year-old white child, by the way. I was an 18-year-old black kid. This kid, when he saw me on the last day of camp, he ran and jumped up in my arms and whispered in my ear, you were the first person to make me feel good about myself. I'm 56 years old and I have not topped that yet. So that exercise of you finding what you see as significant will show you what your calling is. I promise you it will. And it'll show you to your great question where you have probably held on, fought on, and kept on, and maybe where you need to focus much of your life moving forward. That's phenomenal. I mean... I didn't catch it and I wasn't catching it until you said that he was a 15 year old white young man. I was like, wow, now that is something because based on their life and the different experiences that they have been to, they've already been formatted um, to not look up to you or to not respect you based off of your skin color. Right. Let alone being a male, um, that father figure. And I think uh, it's interesting because you said that the majority of your clientele ends up being women. And so how do you think, if there is anything to it, that male, especially for our colored people, that male figure in their life makes a huge difference, whether it's a positive influence or the lack thereof. How do you feel about that? I have said this, if, if, if I told you how many conversations I've had with parents, dads and moms, but especially with moms, because again, I've been working with kids, like I said, since I was a kid in mm-hmm. 1978. My first job was as an upward bound counselor as a 14 year old oh, junior nice. in high school. So I was Mr. Young to the seventh graders, you know, at 14 years old. So I'd like to say I've been doing this 42 years. But what I would tell you is there is something very magical about the relationship between a father and those kids. There's something magical about the mom's relationship that you asked me about. Right. right. I've seen abusive guys and the kids still can't, can't get enough of them. I've seen wayward guys and those kids still want that day. Yes. Now that's, that's way beyond my pay grade, right? That's, that's, Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's deepness of the deep. All right. But that's just a reality that I see. So what strikes me is our identity and our validation is so significant. And when you live in a society that has systemically, systematically, strategically, and intentionally designed so much of itself to not make you feel like your identity matters, to not make you feel valid. Any glimpse, any sniff of that is just like, it's like, you know, like a euphoria that comes on, right? I'll give you this. I've been doing, as you can imagine, I do a lot of work in diversity and have been doing diversity and inclusion for 30 years. A lot of organizations have called me this year as they have other diversity practitioners to help them in their response to the murder of George Floyd, okay? I've had a number of schools actually call me and say, we need help in becoming an anti-racism school. Great, that's what I do, I will help you. So I went to speak at a private school recently to conduct a focus group with black students, male and female. I was there 90 minutes. 
I had three basic questions and it was a focus group. How do you feel about racism at your school? Are you experiencing microaggressions? What would make it better? You know, that's what I do. At the end of the session, there were 25 students in the room. At the end of the session, I turned my back to erase the board where I've been writing notes. This is a school of about a thousand students. This is a school that is about 15% African-American, maybe 10% other people of color. This is, a, again, a private school. This is a school that probably has two black administrators. When I turned around from the board, those kids, even we're in COVID times, those kids had formed a six foot U around me. And they were like, when are you coming back? Can you come back next week? Can you come on a regular basis? Are there other people you can bring to the school? People want to see somebody they feel who gets them. Mm-hmm. That's universal. Yeah. So with the work that I've been able to do and the places that I've been able to go in my lifetime, it has been a privilege to be an inroads mentor. One of my former inroads students, former student from right here in Nashville, just got a promotion. You know what his new title is? Director of Global Strategy for Deloitte. Nice. Oh my guys. I was at his graduation. Nice. Morehouse. I know when he went to business school. So I have a little, little piece. Of, <laughs> right? You get my point? Mm-hmm. He had at 17, 18, 19, outside of his father, who was a phenomenal human being, and his mother, who was a phenomenal human being, he had somebody a little closer to his age. You see where I'm going with this? Who, if he started talking about EPMD, if he started talking about, you know, a public enemy, I could really let you see where I'm going with that. Yeah. That is so empowering that we as Black people in particular, or people of color, have to just be, we have to just be diligent to make sure we're helping kids, young people, get that type of support, that type of modeling, because it's, it's all the difference. Absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. I guess the the next question, at least what your your response let me leads me right into my next question, excuse me, is uh, with everything that is happening right now, as you mentioned, and you're being pulled different directions, how do you think that the BLM, Black Lives Matter movement, even the pandemic, all the different things the, the, that are coming out now, because you've been around, I'm sure that this isn't the, your first rodeo going through this, but in this moment, because of, I guess, social media and how things are expanding, how do you think that it's personally affected you um, from your standpoint of how you view uh, the movement and things that are going on right now. Yeah, so for me, uh, I'll, I'll work backwards in, right? So I was speaking to a group of, um, I mean, it's pretty much all white audience of leaders who, again, are saying we want to get better. We know there's an issue, we want to get better. And one of the things I said is that in my opinion, my opinion, The pandemic gave the larger white society the sense of what people of color feel like on a periodic or regular basis. Something larger than you not having any concern that you're a PhD, that you're a loving person, that you're a priest. Something larger than you that's invisible, that just happens. You you don't know when it's gonna happen, where it's gonna happen, who it's gonna take out, how it's gonna take them out where the the system says, nope, you can't go anywhere. You can't do that. Nope, sorry, you can't take that trip to Greece that you were planning to take. I said, collectively, I think America, the pandemic put people in a sense, in a state of what it feels like to be racially oppressed. That's a good observation. When George Floyd's murder happened, the way it did, this was not a boom, gunshot. This was a a slow, deliberate, careless, vile execution of a human being. 
we were already sad, depressed, confused, frustrated as a race of people waking up. Now the country has had a sense of what our race and other races have felt for 100, 200, 400, 600, 700 years. Now no one could run from the reality. Absolutely. So for me, what I teach, and I talked about this in our, with our book group, I teach in my book, you should have a blow steam team. Now I'm a person of prayer. I'm a person of faith. Yes, I'll take it that. to the Lord mm-hmm. in a minute, okay? Mm-hmm. I also believe that we are interdependent as beings. So I think it's significant to have some people you can blow steam with. So I have those people. I have a few friends when I call and when I say, dude, when I say it just like that, with that intonation, dude, I drop it down like that. That means I ain't calling to see how you're doing. I ain't Mm -hmm. calling to ask about your wife and your kids, your latest project. I am calling to get something off my chest. So one is obviously prayer and my relationship with Christ. Two was that blow steam team. Three, I use writing as a mechanism to release the frustration, the anger, the fear, all those negative, bad, horrible emotions. I write, that's something I do. The other thing that I've done this year is I've always been a person of gratitude. I'm grateful I have a home to live in. I'm grateful I have a bathroom with running water and the water is hot and cold by touch. I'm glad I can even go to the bathroom. My father-in-law had an intestinal issue one time. So I'm a gratitude dude, all right? So what I've tried to do this year is elevate my gratitude. Be even more grateful for what I'm already grateful for, but also find new things to be grateful for. And then the last thing I've done that's been very helpful to me, and this is what I've shared with my clients and my friends and people I mentor, is you must turn off the negative. If it's a family member, to the degree you can shut that out, do it. If it's a friend, to the degree you can shut that out, do it. If it is a coworker, if it is a television, if it is a social media platform, because repeated negative, where you can do nothing about it except ingest it, will make you sick. So I would have no media days. No CNN, Fox, MSNBC days. No Facebook. I, I, I don't need to see another story of a person being murdered by the police. I don't need to see that anymore. I don't know. I don't want to see it. Oh, have you seen? No, I haven't. And in a very nice way, in a very colloquial way, you know, I, I was able to let people kind of redirect that without being, you know, rude or dismissive. But my point is, you don't have to take in all that negative because it does nothing but destroy your spirit, destroy your mind, and even destroy your connectivity with the people and the things that matter. So those are the things that I've been doing this year and will continue to do as as long as we see this country in the mode that it's been in. That's good though. Um, I truly believe that out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth speaks. And right. so if all you are depositing, like you said, is negativity, that's what comes out. And I think that people get uh, sidetracked because you want to stay up with the latest. You want to know the news. You want to be in tune with um, whatever everyone is talking about. So you don't want to uh, misstep anything. However, that can overtake and consume you to a place to where there's no positivity in you whatsoever. So then it comes from, it starts as a mind frame and then it turns into that's who you are. Your attitude, everything about you is just negative. And I don't think that people realize how important it is, like you said, to take those breaks, to separate, to rule out the negativity in their life. And I don't know about anybody else but like you said I can't help but to be grateful during this time like how can you not when so many people are are dying left and right this is the time to be grateful 
Yeah. Uh, you know, um, two things. Uh, one, I want to go back on something, but something you just said made me think about this. So years ago, I was speaking to a group of teenagers in North Carolina. I, I don't remember where. I just know it was North Carolina. And uh, I was the featured speaker. And I said, I don't want to do the tradition of me standing on the platform. Children of America, you know, I, I want to do more of a get down with the kids and just rap with them. Old school. So that's what we did. And as the conversation went on, one of the young people said, Mr. Young, uh, I get a feeling you don't like rap. And I said, okay, that's an assumption. Fair enough. I said, well, do you want me to respond? He said, well, yeah. I said, I love rap. And I started naming all the rappers I like. I said, you know, I, I don't know if anybody's ever going to be better than, uh, you know, Rakim. I mean, I, you know, to me, he's the greatest. I know who you like, but who I, so we get into this rap discussion. I said, what I don't like is negative rap. I said, I realize that rappers are keeping it real about what they've experienced. All those guys on the West Coast, they were saying the police are brutal, murderous people in some instances. They were keeping it real before the rest of the country even knew how real that was. So I get it. I said, but here's what I want to challenge you all on. I will give you a thousand dollars if you can find me one slave song about slavery. I said, I believe I'm just one guy with an opinion. What if the slave, every slave song, oh, master God is full on my God is food on my head and I'm dead. Oh, master God is food on my head and I'm dead. Right. I said, I don't know if we would be free people because every song I've ever heard sung coming from that vile, wicked, horrible thing called slavery is about freedom, hope, glory, a better day, a better opportunity. And I said to these young people, I truly believe if I could get every rapper in the nation, black, white, Hispanic, whatever race, creed, color, for 18 months to only do rapping about treat your mother with respect, treat other people with respect, study hard in school, invest your money. I just saw recently T.I. was on a panel saying, quit buying Louis Vuitton and get you some investment property. If we could get the rappers to take that phenomenal skill set and speak to the positives, like you just said, 18 months to transform society. And the other thing I want to go back on, you asked me about the why so many women come to me for executive coaching or have come to me, and I think it's a little bit of a repeat, but I want to say it, is people are just looking for somebody to believe in them. And if they really feel like you believe in them, they will accept you keeping it real with them. I teach that constructive criticism, that's an oxymoron. I don't give people constructive criticism. Build you up, tear you down. That's an oxymoron. Nor do I give people negative feedback. See, if what I'm telling you might hurt your feelings, but it's good for your career, it's good for your work, it's good for your professionalism, it's good for your pocketbook, there's no negative in that. So I give constructive feedback. So when people really believe you care about them, when people really believe you have their best interest at heart, and when people really believe that you're giving them constructive feedback, I think that's why so many women have been led to say, hey, here's a guy who can really help you in your career. And I'm talking about people at the highest level of $30 billion multinational companies to school teachers, okay? Um, because everybody has a light that needs to be lit and that needs to be maintained. I think that you are absolutely right. <laughs> um, and there's no one who could um, better tell sometimes um, women how uh, they need to excel to get over that next hump and different things that they go through um then sometimes women don't always take from women because for whatever reason they feel like um they want to keep me down they're hating on me they whatever idiosyncrasies that they may have however sometimes it is their male perspective and um their opinion that 
just someone saying something encouraging is like, oh, wow, you know, that makes me feel so good. And then you just, you next thing you know, they have blossomed to be this phenomenal person. And so I completely agree with that. Let me say this. You are not going to believe this based on the exact words you just used. So here in Nashville, there's a women's professional business networking organization called Cable. Cable is probably 32 years old and they do workshops, conferences, networking, all to help professional women thrive. That's what Cable is, night in, night out. That's all they do, all right? So I spoke to Cable um, 2010, I think it was. They asked me because they have a board and I knew, I think eight of the 12 board members were friends of mine. You know, Nashville is not a, it's a million plus in our MSA, so big town, okay? But anyway, they said, hey, D.Y., we want you to come in and speak to our group. I said, listen, I got the perfect talk. It's called The Perfect Gift for Women Seeking Career Success. It's a program I had started with my wife and her business partner, who is one of our state representatives, a woman named Brenda Gilmore. They started a program called Women at the Table of Power. And it was all about what you're doing. It was all about programming to help women do better. So they came me obviously to get involved and I did well when I presented that topic to cable I got a call back and they said D.Y. um love your talk we love your outline but can we change the title and I thought well I mean I'm doing the talk for free anyway so change it if you want to what what, what do you want to change it to now listen to the what they changed it to how women get to the top from a man's perspective. That's literally what they really? call it. Really? Wow. Now it's, the, now, it's the same talk. I didn't I didn't change my talk. They just changed the title. So, I did the talk. It. They told me that they rate every program. They said I had the highest rated program in the history of cable. They said the second highest rated program in the history of cable was when Nikki Giovanni came to speak to them. Really? But the talk was, here are things from a guy's perspective where I've looked at women who were my boss, my peer, my direct report, my friend, my mentee, my student. I just, and I said, here are six things that I see that are common among women who quote unquote make it to the top. And that's that was the essence of the talk. But anyway, when you said that, I had to share that because that's exactly what they wanted to name the talk. Yeah, I mean, it it, it just it is what it is, you know, it's it's real and women are ever seeking they they want to get better at the same time I think that it's intriguing to hear what uh, a man has to say. And which brings me to this point you have your book make my hindsight your 2020 so if you could give me maybe three words that would sum up what your book is or what it means to you and why you chose those words yeah three words so that's challenging but i'll try um i would say the three words are reality action and impact. Those would probably be the three words I would use. I could probably think nice. of three more, but those are the first things because people, that book is, it's, it's real quick hitting. I, I don't go through 17 pages for you to come through the valley and go through the woods to figure out what the heck do I do? So the book is very much about boom, 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 boom. So that's, so that's the, but it's not theoretical. I went back and I assessed again from my first job as an upward bound counselor in an all boys private Jesuit high school in St. Louis in the 70s to internal auditor and economic research analyst for the Federal Reserve Bank when it was 300 billion in assets to head of leadership development for the number one discount. I'm just saying through my whole career, 40 plus industries, um, every niche, well, pretty much niche within every industry. This book is based on real stuff that happened. You know, one of the most powerful concepts in the book is that the most, the most 
deadly thing in an organization, my opinion, my experience, there's really two. Number one is insecure leaders. Ooh, say that again. Nothing kills a person, a team, a department, a division, or an entire vision like an insecure person in leadership. There's a piece in the book that's spot on about that. And the second thing to me that is the numero uno killer of people and organization is people not being held accountable for violating the values of the organization. I don't have a lot of platitudes in the book, Doc, but, but one of my platitudes is accountability without consequence is only conversation. Come on so, here. So when I say the book is, so when I say real, that's what I mean by that. And then with the action piece, on every chapter, there's an action plan chart where you write down, here are the nuggets I got out of this chapter, here are the action steps I'm gonna start taking. Cause I'm one of those people, I like articles. Cause articles are boom, 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 boom. I need to learn something, boom, 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 boom. That's the way the book is written. And then obviously the impact word, which to me goes back into, what are you, what are you here for? Everybody wants a nice house. Everybody wants a nice car. I ain't mad at that. Everybody wants six figures and all that. Hey, seven figures, 12 figures, that matter to me. But how many times, I talk about this in the book. One of my very good friends is the president of Belmont University here in Nashville. It's actually where our oldest daughter graduated. And he and his wife, his name is Dr. Bob Fisher. His wife's name is Judy. They wrote a book. And what they did with the book, they interviewed people in hospice care and ask simple questions like, if you had it all to do over again, you know, that type of thing. And it came back to pretty much two words, relationship and impact. So those are the three words I would say, probably maybe best summarize the book. Nice. Um, well, let me tell you, thank you so much. This has been very, very enlightening. Um, man, I'm sure that we could probably do this again just so that we could hear some more from you. But I don't want you to give away all that you have. I want you to tell us how we can um, get in contact with you, how we can obtain your book. If we want you for coaching, any of those things, what do we do? But I'm, I'm a website connect and the fastest way is to go to store.derekyoungspeaks.com and Derek okay. is D-E-R-E-K and if you go straight to store.derekyoungspeaks.com there'll be two things that you can get the book obviously which because the book is make my hindsight your 2020 in essence all the dumb stuff I've done, all the mistakes I've made, let's go ahead and make that a clear vision for you so you can be more successful, faster, quicker, better, blah, blah, blah. So make my hindsight your 2020, the book is $20.20, just because I thought that was easy. But also on the site, you're gonna see professional and student webinars. During the pandemic, when we initially were shut down, I said to myself, how can I be a blessing to people to take my content put it in bite-sized chunks and charge a fee that is ridiculous compared to what I charge when I do a live program. So you will see 20 plus professional webinars on a wide array of things like building your influence. There's one session in there called Now What? I'm supervising my peers. So they're, they're 45, 50, 60 minute webinars for $30 each. So store.derekyoungspeaks.com and then the broader website derekyoungspeaks.com you can see where you can engage me for a keynote or for organizational consulting and the last thing I'll say about my website is back in 1990 I was not a Christian I was not a church goer I'd only been to church four times in my life and really two were for Easter and two, you know I, I wasn't a church going person I just wasn't one of my inroads students who I used to work for inroads invited me to a church service. Very small church. Her dad was the pastor. Now again, you got to remember now, I don't know church culture at all. The man gets up, he's preaching, he is preaching, preaching, preaching. And suddenly this very old woman, I mean old woman, 
she got herself up and she held on to the back of that pew and she said, Pastor, I agree with everything you're saying. We need to give people their flowers before they die. And at that moment, I realized why I got invited to that church because that became my personal mantra. Well, on my website, when you go to About DY, which kind of gives my background and all that, there's a GPTF tab. And on that tab, I basically give people their flowers. And I go all the way back to my childhood with my granny, with my mother, with my uncle, my high school years, my college years, my early career, my mid-career, and people who have been a blessing to me in the community. So that's a piece I would like people to see to just get it in their own hearts who they need to give flowers to before they die. That's fantastic. I really, really like that. That is a, a great idea. Um, I have a book group uh, of women and we just started reading a book and I think it's called like My 50-50 Friendship. Okay. But what it's really based off of is taking a challenge to sit down and create dates or intimate moments with women so it's about a woman who has 50 different women that have impacted her in some way or another and she ends up writing about what it is how they have inspired her how they have helped her and so the challenge is really to do the same thing to take that on to start to admire and to have an introspective look of how you are affected by other people and what they do for you in your life instead of always having that pessimistic attitude and being very cynical, you know? Wow, this, so, I am so glad. <clears throat> I, I just would ask all your listeners and viewers this question. Can everyone in your life who matters to you or has mattered to you say that they know it? And I said, right. when I heard that old woman say that in that church, it just set off a bomb inside me. And I said it as a goal that no one, no one who was significant to me would leave this earth without knowing in explicit detail how I feel about them. And that's just been a commitment I've made my whole life. I like it. I like it. Um, I'm going to take that just so you know. I'm going to take that. I think it just kind of resonated with me. Um, I think that now no time than other is better to to be able to allow people to have that. Yes. I totally agree. And people, if there was ever a time when people needed it. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That I matter to you. Yes. And if I could, the only, just the one little sweep over I want to offer is for any of Mm -hmm. you who are leaders positionally or your leaders through influence, any of you who are watching this who are parents or aunties or uncles or mama or papa, be extremely ferociously specific when you praise people. Hey, you had a great day at work today is a beautiful thing to say to somebody. But what I would rather you say, hey, Carolyn, could I say something to you? I just want to tell you, in that intake meeting today, not only did you help that mother feel esteemed and feel welcome, but you also, you demonstrated to her that you fully heard everything she said. And then when Todd kind of went in with jerk Todd, we know how Todd is, actually were able to redirect him without being dismissive and being rude. That was some high level people skills, Carolyn. I just want to acknowledge that. Give people very detailed praise, right? It lets them know you're paying attention. It lets them know you really care. It lets them know you feel a genuine sense of concern. So that just I just felt led to say that because I felt like that might help somebody who's watching. Absolutely. That's really good. Uh, I, I, I don't think that everyone thinks about it like that because you think oh I gave them a compliment and you you I'm sure you've read the book how to win friends and influence people oh, and so me, you're gonna have to talk to me for another 20 minutes there you go <laughs> ought to be in the school system that ought to right, be public right. they ought to throw out 10 books and replace them don't get me started on Dale Carnegie now. <laughs> come on here but I think that um, sometimes the more specific you can be, the better it is. And 
this is not that great, but I'm going to say it anyways. We went to a restaurant and as soon as we sat down, the waitress complimented every single person. She found something nice to say about them. She said something nice about me, my husband, my mother. And I was like, oh, well, that was nice. But then she didn't stop. And she kept doing it. It was like the whole time she was just working. And I could tell she was trying to work and put in some of the tools that she had. had. And I was almost like, well, why does she keep saying that? And my husband was like, well, what's wrong with people being nice? What's wrong with her giving compliments and noticing and acknowledging and it was it was very specific like I like your shoes I like your your uh your shirt you have on and that just brought to my remembrance like sometimes we're just not used to people doing that so we can't even accept it when people are just genuinely nice to us and And it's needed even even the way you started off that piece of what you just said said this you know basically this is really not that big of a deal heck to the yeah it is <laughs> that is what the country our country is suffering from we have a we have a plague of nastiness we, we, we're plagued with just being nasty and ornery and low down and disrespectful so a stranger in a restaurant being complimentary it kind of freaks you out a little bit like whoa back up off me what do you want and the person's probably like uh i don't want anything that's just how it's just who i am that's just what i do and um so i'm so it's there's it's so that that's that that's not small very significant and it's very much needed in every sector of our society in my opinion Absolutely, definitely, for sure. Well, again, let me tell you, I really, really thank you. Um, You have dropped some huge nuggets on us that I hope everyone who is listening is writing, taking copious notes. And so if you could just round this off to close us out, um, again, tell us how we can get in contact with you. I wrote it down. Uh, we'll have it posted so that people can get in touch with you. Uh, do you have like social media or any of those types of things that they could follow you as well? Yeah, you can follow me on social media. But what I found with me is I do so much private client work with companies okay. and organizations. You won't see me as pronounced on social media. Okay. I will say to your to your audience, um, if you go to DerekYoungSpeaks.com or more specifically store.DerekYoungSpeaks.com, and either with the book or the webinar, you are going to find a way to get immediate return on your investment of time and treasure. And that for me is what's very significant because it's all, for me, it's all about having a clear calling so that you are producing a great legacy. And that legacy is not about you popping your collar about look how wonderful I am, look how great I was. Legacy is about how you transform the way generations of other people live. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I'm excited. Um, We will be, I'm gonna get with my assistant and we're gonna be trying to figure out what we can do to have you come and do some workshops for the school and all that good type of stuff because I think that it will be beneficial for the staff. So um, I hope that everyone again store.derek.young right com correct store.derekyoungspeaks.com. Okay, derekyoungspeaks.com. Okay, great. So thank you so much. I enjoyed speaking with you. This was fantastic. And I hope everyone will continue to tune in. Don't forget to follow Derek Young or DY. Go to his website. And we will see you next week. Bye, everybody. Here.